0: That where his people meet, he is promised, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I. Now, that's a very special promise, that he will be present in a special way. And tonight, we ought to expect the presence of the Lord in his house. Just as the woman went to the tomb, and they expected to find a dead Savior, don't you think tonight that our Lord Jesus is dead? He is promised, I'm alive, and I will be with you. And as we engage in gospel ministry and gospel work and gospel worship, we should pray for and expect the Lord to be present. If there's anything that I'm learning, more and more it is this. We need to be much in prayer for the presence of the Lord in the work of gospel ministry. Are you praying for that? Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. This is Ian Golliher. I trust that today the Lord will draw near, bless your soul, and give you a word in season. Yesterday, we looked at the end of Matthew's Gospel and the Great Commission, where the Lord Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Today, I want to take a brief look here at Mark and words that were slightly different and add a little extra to the Great Commission. And it says here, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following There is the power of God at work. When the Lord Jesus died, that was not the end of the mission, and it was not the end of the power, but rather after Christ ascended to glory and the Holy Spirit descended, then the power of God was available, and that power is still present today. Let every servant of the Lord work in that power, and we shall know the power, the blessing, the victory of the Lord. So I trust you'll stay tuned with us right through the program today. We have a hymn, All to Jesus, I Surrender. And we have uh, another hymn as well, I Surrender All. I Surrender All. The message is on missions. And that's our focus today, of course, with the the death of Christ, his resurrection and ascension. It is now time to consider the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I trust that we will all be engaged in promoting the gospel of the Lord Jesus, even to the ends of the earth, missionary work, home missions, church ministry, neighborhood ministry. Let us get involved preaching the cross, going into all the world to preach the gospel. Stay tuned now for these closing announcements. So, this king gives us his presence. Did you notice here in this text that the Lord goes on to say in verse 20, Lo, I am with you always. What a wonderful promise this king makes. I don't think there's an earthly king that can, can make that kind of statement. And for a man to betray his fellow citizens would be very horrible and say, Well, I won't walk with you, I won't be present with you again. But all the more for a king to break his word, it would be unthinkable. In my little bit of English history, and I like this particular history because it's all about a man called Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell was an unusual man for an unusual time in England, in about 1640. During the years that the Westminster Confession of Faith was being compiled, a civil war was going on in England. Oliver Cromwell came to the fore because Charles I, the King of England, was conspiring to bring an army over from Ireland to fight his own people. It was treachery and betrayal. He lost and he lost his head. Oliver Cromwell is the man who gave the order for Charles I, the King of England, to be executed. Oliver Cromwell is one of my great heroes. Charles I was turning a nation that was Protestant and seeking to turn it into a puppet of Rome. And Oliver Cromwell was the man that God raised up to stop it. The history of England, the history of the British Empire would be very different today, only for that turn of events. Charles I was a traitor. But during World War II, whenever Hitler was bombing London and the main cities in England, King George VI He was pleaded with to leave the south of England and seek a place of relative safety. But he wouldn't go. He stayed in London. He went out among the people. He showed his presence. And he gave what was called the British spirit. We will not surrender. And we will not be beaten. And by his courage, and by his example, now he wasn't a gunner and he wasn't a military man. He wasn't a fighter but by his courage of just remaining as a leader in that part of the city of London, it gave impetus to the people, and it showed his loyalty. Our Lord Jesus has told us here, lo, I am with you always. Now, I could go through the Bible and tell and, and, and expound just how the Lord has done that and is promising to do that. But may I remind you of the seven churches in Revelation. And the Lord described the seven churches as seven candlesticks, and he walks in the midst of the candlestick. And so wherever there is a gospel church, wherever there is a born-again people who are worshiping under the banner of Christ, the head of the church— He promises his presence. Now, the Lord is present, of course. His presence fills the whole earth. He is universally present in every part of his creation. But there is a gracious presence, a gospel presence, that where his people meet, he is promised where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I." Now, that's a very special promise, that he will be present in a special way. And tonight, we ought to expect the presence of the Lord in his house. Just as the woman went to the tomb, and they expected to find a dead Savior, don't you think tonight that our Lord Jesus is dead? He has promised, I'm alive, and I will be with you. And as we engage in gospel ministry and gospel work and gospel worship, we should pray for and expect the Lord to be present. If there's anything that I'm learning, more and more it is this. We need to be much in prayer for the presence of the Lord in the work of gospel ministry. Are you praying for that? Do you even believe in that? Now, you come into church, and uh, you take your seat, and you allow the service to go. Do you really expect that the Lord is going to be in the midst to meet with you? and to speak to you through his word. Now, we don't believe in visions and signs and wonders and great, great flashing lights. We believe in the Holy Spirit making the things of Christ real. That's his ministry to our hearts. And if you want to be blessed, if you want to be in fellowship with the Lord, you will be where his people gather and where that promise is to be fulfilled and expected. In Exodus 33, Moses was in a very difficult situation. If you remember how the people were rebelling, and the Lord was saying, get you up to the mountain. And Moses' prayer and plea was this, Lord, if you go not with us, lead us not up hence. Can't go. You don't go with us. And God spoke to Moses and said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Do you experience that in your Christian life? Whatever you have to face, whatever things you have to step up to do, and maybe you'd rather run away like Jonah, as he tried to do, but you can say, Lord, I must have your presence. Don't don't ask me to do this unless you lead me up and go before me. And the Lord promises, My presence shall go with thee. One more example, and that is Joshua 1, verse 9. Now, you remember Joshua going into that promised land across the the Jordan? Well, in Joshua 1, he's still on the other side of the Jordan. He's on the east side of the Jordan. And the many unknowns and the issues that he faces, well, uh, the Lord gave him a word for that. And he said in Joshua 1, verse 9, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. What a great word to Joshua as he would lead the people across that Jordan to fight the enemies, driving them out of the promised land at God's command. Joshua was certainly the man to do it, but he he needed the Lord with him. And you need the Lord. I need the Lord. And we need to cultivate more and more a a Christian life and attitude. I can do nothing without the Lord's presence. Now, most people here work Most people here have long days at work. Can it be that the Lord can be with you even in the workplace? Uh, It depends on the type of work you're doing. If you're a gardener working in a garden, you could sing and hum and do all kinds of things to yourself. But if you're in a busy office or a factory or some busy environment, it's pretty hard to even get your mind on the things of the Lord. But there is such a thing as what the Bible calls ejaculatory prayer. Remember Nehemiah and how he was the king cupbearer, and he he just shot up a prayer to God. It wasn't long, just a few words, but he cultivated the attitude of constant prayer. I remember when I was a student and I lodged during the week with Beulah's aunt, who was a Plymouth Brethren, I was really uh, finding my feet in all the differences. And she would ask me, do you preach from the Old Testament? And I said, sure, why not? I didn't know the Plymouth Brethren didn't really take much uh, stock in the Old Testament. I had a lot of learning to do. But she told me about her husband, that in his Christian life, he wouldn't even start the car before praying. Wouldn't even start the car until he offered prayer. Now, those were the days when cars were, you know, they were changing from horses to cars. And it was a fearsome thing to start up this wild beast and not knowing what direction it might go in. You could understand uh, the need to commit it to the Lord. But is that your Christian life? If not, I tell you, you're missing out. You're trusting in the arm of self and flesh. You're losing the victory and the power and the strength which the Lord promises. Lo, I am with you always. Now, I could say that this is to preachers or to missionaries, and praise God it is. But it's also for you tonight and i advocate and long that god's people everywhere learn to seek and plead the personal presence of the lord in your life are you doing that that's why we have prayer meetings that's why we call you to personal prayer now the third thing that we find here and that is the king gives us his protection And that's why I wanted to read Mark's account. And that's why I'm glad I have an authorized version, because these verses are still in. And that is that even though you take up snakes, and even though they bite you, they will do no harm. Remember that promise at the end of Mark 16? And so when the Lord sent forth his disciples, he was sending them as sheep among wolves, there would be many enemies. And you remember how Paul the apostle on the island was bitten by some kind of a, a, of a serpent, and the people waited to see him die. And when he didn't die, they thought he was a god who came to the island. They changed their mind immediately. That was the Lord's protection. And God promises us at all times His marvelous protection. Now, I don't have much time to preach on this, but I do want to go to Psalm 89. I mentioned this this morning, Psalm 89, and it is the psalm of the covenant protector, the one who watches out for his people and keeps them in every situation. I want to read from Psalm 89:15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Here is the path of blessing. The people that know the joyful sound. There's fellowship, there's joy, there's gladness, there is delight in the Lord. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn shall be exalted for the Lord is our defense what he's our defense and the Holy One of Israel is our King here's the two things coming together now we're speaking about the King and we are the people of the King and he's our defense then thou spakest in vision to thy Holy One and said I have led help upon one that is mighty I have exalted one chosen out of the people. That's our Lord Jesus. He's the chosen one. He's the greater David, and he is working for our defense. I want to read to you what Mr. Spurgeon said on this. Kings are called the shields of nations, and the God of Israel is both our ruler and our defense, another sense may be that Israel's defender and king was the Lord, belonging to him and sent by him, even the protectors of the land being themselves protected by the Lord. So, even our kings, our queens, and we are to pray for them that the Lord our God will be their protector. And so, what a great king. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will carry out his work of protection. Then jump down to verse 30. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod, and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I utterly take not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to feel. So we are the subjects of the king. He has given us laws to keep. We are to obey them. What happens when we break a law? Well, you expect the rod of correction, but it's not the rod of destruction. It's the law to bring us back into the path of blessing, the path of holiness. And holiness leads us to happiness. And the good king, when he sees his subjects going wrong, he doesn't abandon them. He doesn't disown them. He corrects his own people. And maybe if we had more days in jail, we would have better subjects in the in the land. A few days in jail would correct a lot of things in this land. But that's the rod of correction, not of uh, you know, exiling or uh, abolishing people and sending them away off somewhere else. And so this is the work of the good king. He is our protect her. And so, uh, on this wonderful Easter day, as we think of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, he's now in glory, he's reigning, and he commands that we are to keep his laws, and they're good laws, they're for blessing, and he is going to be present with us. And as we walk in his law, he will be our protector. He will watch over his people. And, of course, it begins in our hearts. Because just as the law is written in our hearts, his kingdom is within us. Think of that. It's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom is within us. The Holy Spirit dwells within. He's our guide. And he convicts of sin. He corrects us. And he ministers restoration to us. And he will lead us in those good paths that are right and good. I'm glad tonight to be a son of the king. I'm glad to be his subject. I'm glad to be in his kingdom. I'm sure glad I'm not in the devil's kingdom anymore, but there was a day in my experience when I was, by grace, translated out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the devil, into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So how would I not love his law? How would I not seek his presence? How would I not desire his protection in my life, because I am now a subject? in the kingdom that's within me." What a gospel! What a translation out of that kingdom of darkness. So throw down all your little crowns, and tonight, crown the Lord Jesus King of your life. It'll do you good. You'll be a better Christian. You'll be truly one serving in gladness. You'll have direction in your life, and you will have joy. Now, my closing note, it's not a point, it's a conclusion. This is evangelism. This is evangelism. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, and, lo, I am with you always, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you. This is evangelism. And evangelism is not just extracting a confession from someone's mouth, I love Jesus. It's to see them worship the King. It's to see them serve the king, walking in his law, loving his presence, and delighting in his protection. That's what conversion is. That's evangelism. And we're not going to stop evangelizing a person until we see them in the prayer meeting, until we see them praying daily, till we see them growing in grace and bringing glory to the King that's when our evangelism may stop and say, now you're ready to serve. Let's put the harness on. Let's make you a serving Christian now. And that becomes our joy to serve the Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak today, and I trust that the Lord's Word on Missions has been an arrow to your heart to lead you to faith, to lead you to a stirring, to do something to promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I read here of a minister who had recently been called to a prosperous church, was met by a prominent woman of the church who said to him, Doctor, I do not believe in foreign missions the minister was grieved but said nothing. A few weeks later, when the congregation was gathered about the communion table, he took occasion to read the master's final words to the disciples. The last words of our friends, said the pastor, are always precious. It affects us to know what chiefly weighs on their hearts as they are about to leave us. Any message or commission they give us then we would rather do anything than to feel, to heed, or execute. It has always impressed me that the thing which weighed most on our Savior's heart as he was taking his departure was the world of sinners for which he had died, and the very last request he made of his friends was that they should go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature Shortly after the close of the service, the same lady approached the pastor, and with tears in her eyes, she said, Doctor, I do believe in foreign missions. Well, that was a victory, and I trust that today the Lord will get the victory in our hearts, and that he will make us missionaries who will not only cling to the cross, preach the cross, but that we will promote the extension of the gospel— to take to men the good news that Jesus saves. May the Lord work his will in your heart today. Stay tuned with us now for these final announcements.